so, but uh, it's fine, so. Good morning. Uh, as uh, Pastor Rich said, uh, Pastor James is in Mexico. Uh, just a uh, reminder there, I know he said just please keep them in prayer, especially on their journey back, well, whenever that is going to be. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is uh, Rene Amador, assistant pastor here at Harvest. I uh, usually do the announcements for the second service and um, got the opportunity and privilege to teach at first service this morning and got to meet some new people. And obviously, I think most of you know me from uh, second service uh, as well. So uh, going to get started here. We're going to look at the book of Acts. Pastor Rich taught in Acts 19. Uh, but before we begin, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, just as we get ready to study your word, Lord, um, let us be strengthened and encouraged by your word this morning as we study it. Let your spirit do its work. Amen. All right, as I stated, uh, Pastor Rich got to teach through Acts 19. Uh, Very interesting account there, just what Paul was doing there ministry-wise at the church in Ephesus. It talked about people being healed just by being able to touch handkerchiefs uh, that Paul had touched from, you know, that had his Paul sweat on it. Just the miraculous things that Paul was doing. Here we kind of transition to where Paul is uh, going to be traveling again with his focus and his mission uh, to get to the church in Jerusalem here. So uh, before we actually look at the text, though, just a question there for your consideration is, how is your spiritual life going? If you had to assess it today, how is your spiritual life going? Is it, um, is it stuck in winter? Is it uh, cold? No growth? Is it stagnant? Or is it like spring? As we're transitioning here, too, things are starting to grow, uh, bud, and uh, change. So I encourage you also, um, we're going to look at the first 16 verses here in Acts 20. You may think of it as just names and places, right? There's a lot more to that as we're going to look at it. So just look beyond the names and places. It's not just relevant to Paul's time there in the early church. It's relevant because it's God's word, right? And God's word, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. So let's start to look at this. Verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. So what do we observe here? Uh, First thing we observe here, just in looking at this beginning uh, chapter here, is Paul's love for the church. Paul had a great love for the church, and we see that here. So after Acts 19, the great commotion at Ephesus, great uproar, you know, Paul's life threatened. Um, He calls the disciples to himself, embraces them, and he has to depart. He has to go to Macedonia. And the uproar, you know, state of commotion, excitement, uh, violent disturbance, And, you know, Paul is still focused, though, even though with that happening, um, he has to go to Macedonia, and he wants to call the disciples to himself and spend time with them. He cherished the church. He loved them, and uh, he did that through his instruction, through his prayers for them. Uh, Paul had great love for the church. And if you just take a look at the letters, um, you know, in our New Testament here, the books that Paul wrote, um, Romans 1-7 says, uh, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, who I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. First uh, Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning for you, uh, for the grace of God, which is given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as a testimony of Christ 
was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. And then Ephesians, uh, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then lastly, uh, my last example here from uh, 2 Timothy, uh, to Timothy, uh, beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. You look at those words, there is so much love in those words. Grace, peace, mercy to the church. He prayed for them. He wanted to teach God's word to them. And Paul is on a mission here uh, to do that. Um, so it says here, we looked at, he meets with the disciples and he embraced them and he departs to go to Macedonia. And um, it says in verse 2 here, now we had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words. Once again, another example of his love for the church. He comes to Greece and he stayed there three months. Alan, can you show that map, please? So as I stated, we had, this is Paul's, what we call, if you look at most Bibles here, they have a map of Paul's missionary journeys. And this is his third one. So he uh, left, point the right way here. If you see the light here, this is where Ephesus was. And he goes over to Macedonia. And eventually he comes here into Greece, this region here. Uh, says Corinth here at that time, and uh, spends three months here. And um, as I said, Paul was focused, his main mission was to get back to the church at Jerusalem to bring a gift. And he's there in Greece for three months. And um, Paul, a great man of God, made great use of this time that, Paul, that God gave him. Um, what Paul did here while he was in Greece, uh, he wrote what we know as the Book of Romans. He wrote that letter in his three months' time here, in Greece, uh, amazing man of God here. And it says, and he stayed there three months. So in it didn't, verse 3 transitions here, it says, when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Assyria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So in these first couple of verses, we see Paul's great love for the church. And then now we see also, how did Paul minister to the church? Well, we've kind of we gone through that, right? Paul, he embraced them, he cherished them, he prayed for them, he met with them. He taught them God's word. He instructed them. He, he gave encouragement to the churches here. And as he is doing this, um, we see examples of, you know, his, what his ministry looks like, the, how he set the example. As I stated, he met with the disciples of the churches. He prayed for them. He loved them. He instructed them. He taught them God's word. And he shared also, you know, as we go through Acts here, he shared the gospel, not only with the Gentiles, but also with um, governors uh, those who imprison him, the Roman guards, um, Paul was all about the mission of sharing God's gospel, the good news with others. And he encouraged other believers in the fellowship. And as we see here, we see that example of what that ministry looked like. There's also um, an example of like um, we see there opposition. It says there uh, Paul had to change his travel plans. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail, to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So somehow through the Lord, 
Paul finds out there's a plot against them. And as if you've been through us with this book of Acts, and as you're going to see here through the next several chapters, Paul faces opposition almost every opportunity that he goes, whatever, whatever location he goes to. Um, so much so, um, as we'll see here uh, later on when he makes uh, how he gets to Rome. But um, that opposition uh, that we see is just part of ministry back then, and it's part of ministry today. We're going to face opposition and suffering uh, as Christians today when we serve the Lord. It's just, it's not an if, it's a when. So the reason I bring that up is like, how, how can I be involved in ministry then? How, how can I deep? Well, God calls us to that. Um, examples how, how you can serve today. I normally teach um, uh, fifth through eighth grade uh, students here on Sundays here. This was my mom, so I had them stay in. So one of the things we've talked about here in the last year is just because you're in fifth, sixth, seventh grade doesn't mean you can't help the body of Christ. doesn't mean you can't serve in the church. One of the things that um, I challenged my class to do was to help greet uh, a couple Sundays last summer, and they, they partook in that, and I thought it went well. So I wanted to mention these other examples because, you know, I mentioned it to them when we, when we talked about it. So we could, we could greet, be part of the greeting ministry. Uh, we could write a note to encourage others in the church, encourage your pastor. Uh, you can mentor or encourage younger kids. Uh, you could offer tech support. Uh, you could cook food to share. Um, you can help with administration. Uh, you could visit the sick, not only in, in hospitals, but maybe at home or um, rehab homes. Uh, let's see here. Also, uh, just spend time talking to an elderly, mem- elderly member and also do free chores uh, for older or needy members of your church. So those are examples there of being involved in ministry. And I uh, just wanted to bring that up because we, you know, we had talked about that in my class a year ago. And, you know, today, how do we get involved in church? Those are just examples. A lot of ministry opportunities that we offer here at Harvest. So I encourage you, you know, pray about that. Be involved in that because we're going to see how, we're going to see here later in this chapter how important that is and also some other facets to that. So, as, we, as I discussed earlier at the beginning, we have some places mentioned, Macedonia, Syria, Greece, and now we come to the names. Verse 4, and Sopator Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So we read these uh, several verses, right? We got these uh, seven names. Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus. Remember that uh, scripture I shared about God's word? It's in, it's in there for a reason. And when I see right here is ministry is most effective and fruitful when it's done with others by your side. Um, there's a great growth that comes from that. You know, I, I talked about um, being a ministry opportunity to be able to mentor other younger kids to get them involved in ministry. And we see here these names. You know, we don't know much about these names, but uh, in my uh, study of this, I know that Sopater and Aristarchus and Secundus uh, they were representatives of the Macedonian church. Uh, Gaius and Timothy, uh, representatives of the Galatian churches. And then Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia, uh, represented from the Asia Minor churches. 
And the interesting note about all these uh, names mentioned here, they're all Gentiles, all Gentile believers um, through, God, uh, through Paul's ministry there uh, to those churches there. And what was their mission? They were going to accompany Paul to deliver a gift to the church at Jerusalem there. So we see Paul's love for the church. We see Paul's example of ministries here in these first couple of verses. And then we also see that ministry is most effective when it's fruitful when we serve with others and we have others by our side. So all these Gentiles are going with Paul to deliver a gift to the church in Jerusalem. And in verse 5 it says, you know, they, these men going ahead waited for us at Troas, and, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. So Paul's travel uh, took a little bit longer than expected. Um, it was noted here earlier uh, Paul's earlier crossing from Troas to Philippi had taken only two days. Uh, this crossing took five days due to unfavorable weather conditions, uh, due to unfavorable winds. So we see here that everyone's reunited back here at Troas. And now we get to uh, uh, verse 7 here. It says, Now on the first day of the week when disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So I told the first service, don't be alarmed. I'm not going to preach until midnight, so don't, no worries, no worries. So, um, but you see here Paul's love for the church, and what I also emphasized during that first service, like you see the people that are there, their, their love for the word of God, just how enamored they were with it. And I, I prayed, you know, I mentioned how we should pray for that same love for God's word. Um, it says here, um, they came together to break bread, and Paul ready to, he was getting ready to depart the next day, so he had arrangements to leave the very next day at daybreak, but he continued his message until midnight. Just his love for them, you know, imagine the travel that they had to do by then, by ship and by foot, the miles, the distances, and still Paul is just set aflame by the love of God for these people. And he's going to teach them God's word and instruct them and be with them, talking to them until midnight. And he does that there, and we go here to verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room and where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So here uh, we have, once again, God's word being descriptive with the details. Uh, Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Uh, upper chamber, third story, so a large building that they were in. And it could have been maybe 30 to 40, sometimes maybe upward 50 to 60 people in this room, uh, eager to hear God's word, uh, to hear Paul preach and teach. And it gives description there of many lamps in the upper room. And this could have been torches or lamps of oil burning, so you would have had maybe some fumes from that. Got very warm, you know, Mediterranean region, easy to fall asleep. And the other reason I noted here in the first service uh, in studying this, they had those lamps to make sure that people knew what they were doing. Uh, Christians at that time, uh, they were basically 
bad rumors going around about their meetings, maybe um, some accusations of sexual morality. So that's why we have the description here. There are many lamps in the upper room so that everyone could see what was going on, uh, where they were getting together. And as I said, they had a hunger for God's word, and they're studying God's word to listen and hear uh, to Paul preach that. So also noted there, verse 9, we have Eutychus, the, the young man sitting by the window who was sinking into a deep sleep. Uh, he could have been a teenager, teenager possibly. And uh, it says there he was sinking into a deep sleep, so he's, he's fighting it. He's sitting by a window, and he's overcome by sleep. And he falls down, right? Three stories, and he was taken up dead. So right here, trivia, first record of someone falling asleep here in church, Eutychus, right? So, and here's a quote I got from one of my commentaries. Um, there have been thousands of successors, but Eutychus is the one everyone remembers. So um, I could tell you here, just being uh, in the pulpit, I've, I've seen it. You know, I've seen where people fall asleep as I slowly gaze across the room here. So, you know, I, I've seen that. I've also been sitting where you're at, right? I've been sitting where you're at, uh, where someone has maybe nodded off and fallen asleep. And, you know, I, I understand that. I know there's, I know a couple of people that work third shifts, uh, and they still come and worship with their family. They try to do that. And, uh, you know, that's, a, that's great. And, you know, as we look at this, God's word here, we see just an account of someone falling asleep, right? So physically falling asleep, he's taken up dead. And that's not the end of it, though. Um, He's overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from his third story and was taken up dead. Verse 10, but Paul went down, Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and they were not a little comforted. So Paul does a great work here. Um, he sees what happens, stops what he's doing. He goes down immediately there, falls down, you know, bent over him, and embraces him. Once again, showing his love for the church. He embraces him, and through the power of the Lord, power of God working through him, he speaks life into him. Speaks life into him. What an amazing thing for that church to see, once again, just his love for the church and to go down there, embrace Eutychus, and speak life into him. And you can see the reaction. Uh, Verse 12 says, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. They were overjoyed at what Paul had done. And this is where, you know, I want to transition here with this, this point here about Eutychus falling asleep. Not that... Not that it's a major thing to fall asleep in church, right? But what I want to what I want to convey is the danger of being spiritually asleep, being spiritually asleep. Um, the danger is, uh, and there's three reasons for this, and I, I got this from several commentaries just looking at this text here because I wanted to make sure, you know, we're analyzing God's word here appropriately and not taking it out of context. But a couple of commentators brought up the same point, and then felt the Lord leading in this direction. So the danger of being spiritually asleep, three reasons. Uh, First case, the case may be that someone has never been spiritually awake. Uh, They're not alive to spiritual things. Uh, And this danger, that's a grave danger to not be spiritually awake, to just come and fill a seat and just go through the motions. That's a grave danger. And why is that a grave danger? Because... To pass from this life into eternity without recognizing that, that's too late at that point in time. So you may not be spiritually awake. Uh, 
you may not know of the salvation available in Jesus. A second reason for spiritual slumber is for more so for the Christian being in sin, uh, compromise, compromising in your life, uh, making compromising decisions, being in a backslidden state. That's another reason uh, that we may be spiritually asleep. Uh, you may have experienced an awakening spiritually, but maybe due to sin, uh, you're in a spiritual coma now. And uh, so what does sin do? It desensitizes us, makes us numb, makes us indifferent, and bored with spiritual things. That's what sin can do. And then the lastly, the third reason, and what I shared here, familiarity is the third reason for spiritual slumber. Uh, constant familiarity with holy matters can dull their significance. I shared this morning, uh, as I said, I've been doing announcements here for quite some time uh, during the second service. And one of the things I do is I pray over the scripture that I'm going to use, and I, you know, try to make my prayer relevant with the scripture or prayer relevant uh, to what we need to pray for. Um, I noticed about a year ago, I would make it almost, I could almost do it automatic, right? I want to pray for our service. I want to pray for my pastor. I want to pray for the teachers in the back. Um, I want to pray for our nation, our nation's leaders. I want to pray for our military, right? Automatic. I can do that automatic. So about a year ago, I wanted, I felt the Lord urging me to, to move in a different direction. Not that those are not things we shouldn't pray for. We should, and we can, and we do. But I wanted to make it more relevant to, like, hey, we're coming together as a body of believers. We're coming together as sinners before the holy God. And we're going to worship him and come before him, and we're going to get ready to hear his word. Let's be changed by that. Let's be encouraged by that. And in some cases, let's be convicted by that. Let God do his work. And that's why I didn't want it to let it be just a spiritual routine. And that's where I think familiarity is a great cause of spiritual sleepiness today. So uh, this is a danger we could become familiar with, with church, where it just becomes a joyless routine. Uh, just going to go, get ready to come Wednesday, repeat. So I encourage you, be present. We're going to talk about that, just being present. So remember that question that I asked at the beginning. How is your spiritual life going? It's a question for spiritual assessment. Do any of the things we just talked about, being in you know compromising state of sin or uh, being in a rut just spiritually or not even being spiritually awake, you know, do any of those answers fit in with your assessment spiritually? So the answer, so for those that have never been awoke spiritually, uh, Romans 6.23 is the verse that God brought to me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. To be awake spiritually, you must ask the God of grace to help you believe, confessing your sin, declaring your faith in Christ Jesus, asking him to make you brand new, receiving him as your savior. So that's how you get spiritually awake. Romans 6.23, the wages of, sin and de- wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Second reason we talked about for spiritual sleepiness, uh, compromising sin. For those believers whose, whose sleep is due to sin, sin where you're compromising, repent. That's all you have to do is just repent. Go to God, do a U-turn. Allow the joy of Christ to fulfill you, to refill you, 
Go to him in prayer, be in his word. God will do the work. You just got to go to him. You just got to go to him. And for those who suffer with familiarity, the last one, be present. Uh, be conscious and deliberate in your participation in worship. So when we worship, sing the words with your heart. Be in prayer, listening with your heart and mind. And as we study God's word, as we being all in, listening intent. This is a great struggle for me, like I just shared with you. You know, I gave you that example with the announcements and doing the, the prayer and the announcements. Um, I also, I work in technology, so I gave this example. Ross, you're going to like this? There you are. So, notifications are off. So, um, um, you know, I talk about being present. It's so easy in this day and age that we're in uh, to just be physically there but not be really present. So when I talk about the spiritual sleepiness due to familiarity, we need to be present in our worship. We need to be present when we pray. We need to be present when we read God's word. Um, Recognize the wonders of worshiping him. Just bringing that joy back. Recognizing just the wonders of who he is. We see here, um, you know, Paul was preaching. Someone fell out a window. They fall three stories. They die. And what what does he do? He takes him up, embraces him. Do not trouble yourselves for his life is in them. And there's great rejoice, great joy in what he did. And uh, to finish here, uh, when he goes in here in verse 13, then we went ahead to the ship. Oh, before I uh, transition here, notice how after he healed him, what did Paul do? Now when he had come up, he had broken bread, gets up and he eats, and talks a long while till daybreak. Paul's love for the church, I mean, I can't believe that. Just how driven he was and motivated um, just for his love for the church. They ate something, and they talked a long while, even till daybreak. Paul had to get going. As we'll find out here, he still has his mindset, his mission to go to Jerusalem. Finishing up here, these last three verses we're going to take a look at this morning. Uh, Verse 13, then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So notice how Paul, instead of going on the ship, he goes on foot. Once again, in my study of that, he wanted to go on foot to be able to have more time uh, with the people that were with him, uh, to talk to them. And then when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trilegium. The next day, we came to Miletus. For Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So we talked about God, um, God showing us here Paul's love for the church and just how we should have that example of the same love for the church. It's not easy, but with God's love in us, we can love others in our church, and with that, we can minister and be involved in ministry in our church and minister alongside others in our church. And then in the latter half of the section that we looked at, we see the danger of being spiritually asleep, whether it's due to someone not being spiritually awake, not cognizant to the things of the Lord. We talked about how you can be awake spiritually. And then for the believers here this morning, for those in sin, uh, in terms of besetting sin or compromised sin, and then also just with familiarity, not being stuck in the routine 
of just going to church, not being stuck in a routine of just praying, um, but actually being fully present and focused on whose word we're reading, who we're praying to, and who is with us always. So uh, I want to share here these verses, Romans thirteen twelve. The night is far gone, uh, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty four. Awake to righteousness and sin not. And then Ephesians 5, 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and just as we study your word, Lord, more than just names and places, uh, more than just text, but details, Lord, uh, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray, Lord, this morning as we uh, received your word that you would shine upon us, Lord, that we would be spiritually awake, Lord, to the things that you have us made for, for the gifts that you have given us to be able to minister to others and alongside others. We pray for the love of the church, Lord, and to just once again, Lord, to be awake spiritually and filled with your Holy Spirit daily. Amen. All right, want to come up?